Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the now traditional pre-season Premier League Arscast. And as always, I'm joined by Ken Early of Second Captains. Hello, Ken. Hello, Andrew, as always. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. How's your summer been? It's been great. It's been been really good. (laughs) You know, um, what can I say? Did you you miss the World Cup this summer? Uh, No, not really. Um... Actually, I was quite glad. You know, I I kind of think this World Cup is sort of at an interesting point in the season now. Mm. Um, I mean, it's obviously not good, but I've sort of got my head around it now. You know, like yeah. okay, I would have it would have been better just to do it in the in the normal way and not have to. But it, it does create an interesting kind of grand national um, obstacle course uh, element to the season. You know, just and and also completely distorts everything because. You know, <laughs> some players are playing the World Cup and some players are just have a massive break in the middle of the season and will be fully raring to go by the by the time all the World Cup players get back um, exhausted. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting element. It have, is, I yeah. I mean, how much, how big of an impact do you think it is going to have? Because it's probably going to affect the top half of the Premier League table more in terms of the players who are going, the players who are going to be involved, the ones who are going to be, you know, away and jet lagged and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, is it going to create maybe a topsy-turvy kind of season where post-World Cup things go a bit mental for a while and some of the clubs in the bottom half of the table take advantage of that because they've got all these guys who've been, you know, sitting in hammocks and, and you know, reading magazines for six weeks? Um it, it, I'm, I'm curious, really, to see how how it goes and which of the top teams copes best. I must say, actually, I haven't looked at uh, just who is going to be, you know, which teams are going to be more badly affected by this. I mean, mm. obviously, you could sit down and, and have a look at who's playing for who and who's going to be there. I mean, I, I guess with, with Man City, I mean, um, Haaland is is Maris. Is, is, are Algeria in the World Cup? I'm not sure. Um, most of their players are going to be going. So, but I don't know. Like, I mean, Crystal Palace, do, do they have like a load of players? <laughs> uh, you know, international players. I mean, the Premier League is full of internationals. So, um, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, it's it's uh, it's unpredictable. I mean, when you say, did I miss the World Cup? Like, I mean, a little bit. There was all that stuff at the beginning. Oh, the World Cup will be starting now. But then I remember there was nobody saying, well, the World Cup would be finished now. Mm. Um, the World <laughs> Cup would be over. Uh, when we still have it to look forward to, which is always the best 
part of the World Cup is you know kind of waiting for it to happen and, and the initial stages of it before yeah um, before it always sort of turns sour in the second half of of the tournament. I don't think uh, Haaland will be going. Norway didn't qualify. For no, he, he won't. Yeah, yeah, so he, he, yeah. Sorry, he was the only one um, I could think of at Man City who who will have the the break. Yeah, everyone else is going to be. Um, everyone else is pretty much going to be out there. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure who's going to be. I mean, if you think of, if you look at Liverpool, um, Salah obviously isn't going. Diaz isn't going. Um, you know, I guess most of the rest of the team. Andy Robertson. Mm. Um, so. Uh, maybe, maybe they're slightly better in that exchange, but you know, all, all the Premier League teams have going to have a lot of World Cup players, so it's hard to know who's going to. I mean, you know, as long as players don't get injured, it's really the main thing. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some of the clubs before we talk about Arsenal and stuff. But we'll talk about some of the clubs in the uh, in the Premier League and what they're doing. And Manchester City have brought in Erling Haaland, and clearly he is a, an exceptional player. But I think you've made the point that he doesn't really seem like a Pep Guardiola player in that he has a very strong personality. And that doesn't seem to be something that always connects with, with Pep Guardiola. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that. And then there's, his, then there's his style of play. I mean, I think this is just such a fascinating signing. Uh, I mean, number one, because Haaland is, is like, is a superstar. You know, he, he's a spectacular player who, you know, he draws the eye. He has he has done amazing things already in his mm. career. Um, I mean, he's got like a f- phenomenal goal record. I mean, it's 115 goals in 116 games, I think, since he left Norway. Uh, and he's scored more than a goal a game in the Champions League as well. I think it's 23 and 20 or something mm. you know, along those lines. So, th- I mean, no one's done this before. You know, ha- you haven't seen this. Like, look at... Uh, the early record of of um, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo is nothing like this. Like Ronaldo only figured out how to score when he was like 21, 22. Mm. You know what I mean? He used to be a, an absolute um, smash the ball wide from the edge of the box merchant. You know, he, he really, he, he uh, I'm not saying he never scored, but he wasn't like a guy who, who you expected to get a lot of goals. And that only really started to change around the time of the 2006 World Cup or after that, um, and you know, then he kind of he, he the improvement was just was not linear. Like he, he exploded. You know, he just suddenly he became this sort of machine who could score forty goals. And then Messi kind of followed a similar kind of exponential trajectory. And then the two of them were competing with each other. And then and they finally they ended up scoring goals at the rate Erling Haaland started off scoring. Right. Yeah. So that's like <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Now, of course, there is a. The, the sort of qualifier that he has been doing this in Austria and in the uh, Bundesliga um, in Germany, mm. which is you know it's we we've seen some players you know Timo Werner you know we've seen we've seen players uh, scoring a lot of goals there and being unable to score with anything like the same frequency in the Premier League, um, and I do feel with Haaland like he's been. He's really been hothoused into this phenomenon. Like a lot of it is, a lot of it is marketing. Like a lot of it is is Mino, right? The late Mino Raiola, um, mm. sort of trying to figure out. Okay, we've got we've got something here with with Erling. Now, how are we going to make the biggest possible noise? Like how we how do we drum the hype up to the maximum level? You know, and how do we control the whole process so that we reap we personally are able to uh, divert 
the, the largest share of the massive amounts of cash that clubs are going to be throwing around to try and get this guy? How, how do we make sure that flows to us rather than between clubs? You know what I mean? So they've, they've sort of mapped his career out very carefully, you know, with these sort of buyout clauses. So they had control over uh, where he went. And, you know, the way like the, the price that he had to pay for him wasn't that much, but they're yeah. making it up on the wages and the, and the commissions and so on and so forth. But also the fact that he went to Austria and was, you know, banging in a goal a game there. Like a, a goal a game. Everyone everyone pays attention to that. Now, if if Erling Haaland had joined Man City then, um, for example, mm. uh, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Like, uh, I mean, Man, City's about example because that's the club that he's literally at now. But what I mean is if, like Ronaldo and Messi, the, in the previous examples I mentioned, they were both at, I mean, Ronaldo's at Man United. I mean, he, he was at Sporting Lisbon for five minutes. Uh, and Messi was at Barcelona. So right away they were they were playing at the very, very top level. And, you know, when, when they were in their early part of their career scoring pretty uh, infrequently, they were at least getting up to speed with how things were at the very, very, very top level. Whereas Holland, I think, was flat-track bullying it a bit. I mean, it's a bit much just to say an 18 or 19-year-old is being a flat-track bully. He sure. is still a, a teenager. But, you know, in the sense that, like, it, it certainly was an easier level for him to kind of stand out as an absolute uh, prodigy. Um and, you know, in so doing, they've, they've managed to, you know, it's not just his goal scoring, but also his, his earnings that have inflated to the insane, you know, he's right up there with the top players in history in terms of how much money he's already earning. I mean, he was born in, what, 2000. Yeah. Um, so he, he's kind of been, he's sort of been created a little bit. He's been helped along a lot. Uh, and now he's, now he sort of comes face to face with the real top level and, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts because the expectation, obviously, from everybody is Erling Haaland is Superman. He's going to go out there, bang, bang, and, you know, it's he's going to rip rip it up and make it look easy. But what we saw from him in the Community Shield was a player who's struggling to um, to get to grips, to, to, to figure out where he fits in with the team, um, how to connect with it with everybody else. And maybe that'll click with him in a couple of weeks or maybe it'll take a little bit longer but he doesn't really have that much longer because Guardiola is in a position where he doesn't really have a lot of games to throw away on sort of you know what I mean he needs, yeah, he yeah. needs the team to win pretty much every week so so it does create this uh, this situation of pressure uh, in terms of how quickly he can adapt. I mean is it a case maybe that Manchester City if they sign a player, a player like him rather than sort of mold him to what they want, is there a measure of adaptation needed from Guardiola himself to sort of uh, harness the talents of, of Holland in a way? Well, Guardiola is not going to do that. You know, Erling Holland is just, is just one player, um, a physical player. Mm. You know, I thought it was interesting that Gundogan used that phrase. I don't know if you saw the clip of Gundogan. Gundogan was talking about... Um, it was in the it was in the build up to the Community Shield. It was on ITV, and uh, he was asked, you know, yes or no, if you had Erling Haaland in your team against Real Madrid, this was when they obviously lost the Champions League final. Yeah. Would you have won the Would you have won the game, or would you have lost the game, whatever it was? Yes or no, and um, it must have been won the game because because Gunnigan said, well, pff, can I answer it in a different way from yes or no? Pff, honestly, my answer would be no, because we didn't lose the game in my opinion because we didn't have a physical striker. We lost the game because we didn't play mature enough in the last minutes of the game. You know, you, you yeah. in two, two goals in the last five minutes of the game, 
that's a disaster. It's not we didn't lose because we didn't have a strike. But just the use of the word physical about Holland. I mean, he is physical, but like, surely it, it's just it, it just sounded interesting that, that that I think City may have sort of pigeon pigeonholed him a little bit in that way. And I know that from just from watching Guardiola's um, career that it's it's the thing he rates of least importance physicality yeah you know when i say physicality like uh the kind of physicality that Haaland has which is to say uh he's huge and can physically dominate defenders and and is quick at running through the middle i mean he likes the kind of you know xavi or iniesta long distance running physicality he's got no Guardiola has no problem with that that's a that's a that's a great thing but you know he's never been a guy who's overly impressed by you know big brutish strikers um and yeah, I, I mean, the the notion that he should adapt, I think, is one that would offend him actually, because why should he adapt? He's the he's the the guy who's who's been delivering. What is it five? Is it five trophies or five four league titles? I, I in the say. last four, five years, yeah, 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 four league titles. So this is this could be five and six this season. Um, you know, they've they they're it's the most successful Man City team ever mm. it's arguably the, the greatest team to play in english football Ooh. it's a qu- hmm? Ooh, i don't know I it's mean, arguably all right, all right. i mean you could you could have that argument you could argue you could, okay you, yeah, you yeah. could it's an argument that it's an argument that you could make and it's it's a complete it's completely a guardiola team you know in the sense that like it's his it's his style it's his sort of his his patterns his uh, his choice of personality. You know, the, the last season we playing yeah. without a striker, he, he would say, well, sometimes we did use a striker. But, you know, he has, throughout his career, favoured this, like, um, all everyone's a midfielder type of type of approach. And Haaland clearly does not fit into this at all. Now, that's not to say that he can't fit in and or score, like, 40 goals for Man City. He absolutely could. But he doesn't fit into that, that typical Guardiola yeah. pattern, which is why... You know, I think he's he's gonna need to score a lot of goals to stay in to stay in the team. <laughs> like it, it's a poli- it's a politically an interesting one for Guardiola as well, just because of the the fact that like if you're a kid going to see Man City game, who, which player do you want to see? Like you don't want to see this guy sitting on the bench. No. And also, I don't know if he's going to be as patient as Grealish was. I mean, Grealish is clearly overawed by Guardiola. Um, again, another player who who not a player who really seems to. I think he fits more. With, with what Guardiola, with what Guardiola is trying to do, than Haaland does, um, you know, in, in terms of he's he's capable of playing in just a six-man midfield that controls and keeps possession. But like he obviously didn't really respond very well to the environment. Let's say I know that City fans would be like, well, you know, he won the Premier League, and you know, what have you won? <laughs> it's like it was a disaster. Like he virtually disappeared as a player. Jack Grealish last season. But I mean, it takes him completely out of what, you know, what he's really brilliant at is being uh, slightly off the cuff, improvisational, you know, and that's not what Pep wants because of the way that he sets up his teams. No, he he was assimilated by the Borg, you know, and he he was like a, he was an irrelevance to City ultimately. You know, they they won the Premier League and he was he was along for the ride, you know what I mean? But he he wasn't an important player. Mm. They they would have won it without him. Um, but they didn't really see. See, this is why Holland is part of the same the same sort of trajectory that City seem to be on now, where as as Grealish, which is to say, they're not necessarily buying players who are like Pep machine players. Like, I mean, uh, 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 the example would be someone like Bernardo Silva. Mm. You know, like Bernardo Silva is just one of these like decision making players. You know, decision making ninety nine. 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, ball control, 98, whatever, pace, 82, <laughs> you know, yeah. long distance running, 98. Uh, so he, he's like a, he's an, an almost archetypal, almost archetypal pet player, in my opinion. I, I know actually Pep has left him out of the team as well. Like he had to sort of fight to get back in the team last season. It was all a bit puzzling to me. But uh, rather than go with guys like that, they've gone with just superstars like Grealish. Grealish was just the star of the England team at the Euros. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the star because Southgate wouldn't put him on the one on the pitch. But he was like the everyone was screaming and the, all the fans were screaming for Grealish. He was the most popular player. He was the sexiest player who everyone wanted. You know what I mean? Everyone yeah. wanted what's Grealish. Southgate was the only one who's like, no, let's you know. <laughs> I don't want to put him in the game. Like, uh, and City, well, City went to buy him because I feel they, the City are now in the business of of um, uh, trying to attract eyeballs. I mean, they've got a problem. They're the they're the biggest earning club in the world, but everyone knows that like they don't have anything like that number of supporters, right? Sure. <laughs> how can yeah, yeah. how can City be making more money from sponsorship than Real Madrid or whatever? Well, we know how, but like <laughs> City need City needs to try and make that less. Implausible, yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone like Grealish was was like, now you know, now ignore us, uh, you know, because this is a big thing with City, you know, when they when they would win the or they won the domestic treble, and remember that that Man City fan at the uh, was it the FA Cup final or something was uh, there, there was a, there was a moment when a City fan started shouting at the journalist. We've won the tre- treble, and you'll have fucking Mo Salah on the front page. You know what I mean, you, or the back page. That'll be what you'll do because it's corrupt or whatever. Um, so I think that they were they're they're kind of looking uh, to kind of get to the next level now. Like it's like we win everything with Pep. We score all these goals. We sort of dominate teams, mm. and you know at our best, no one can get near us. But Grealish and Haaland, these are players who people want to watch. You know, I mean, these are these are the guys who can maybe take us to that sort of into the PSG zone. I mean, City are a better team than, than PSG. Clearly, I mean, on a football level, they make a lot more sense. The whole the whole thing is just a better built entity. But you know, if you like, if you if if you, you happen to flick by a PSG game, you see Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe are all playing. Like, I mean, you're going to watch a bit of it, right? You yeah. Know? And and I think that that uh, Holland and Greta seem to show that City are going a little bit a, a little bit further away from what Guardiola would necessarily want in terms of the ideal building blocks for his yeah. team, and a little bit more towards a kind of more celebrity driven model. It'll be lovely or interesting to know, like if this was absolutely a Guardiola pick, or if this is a sort of uh, you know Holland is a, a signing that's been made at at. A club level like I mean I guess if you're Pep Guardiola and they come to you and say we can get you you know the hottest young striker in Europe you have a difficult job saying no to that even if maybe you might have some reservations about how he would uh, how he would fit into your team honestly I don't think I don't think Guardiola would have wanted him um, I, I mean think I think so. the, the potential for a personality clash here is quite big Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And that is something that I'm kind of uh, crossing my fingers for <laughs> for the new season, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, is the wish followed to the thought here, you know? Yeah. I mean, did you, did you see Guardiola with, with Alvarez when he scored the goal? Yeah, um, yeah in the I Community mean, Shield. Just kind of, what, what are you telling me? You know, that, um, I, I don't know. Holland is not a, is not a patient guy you know he's not like i mean he's his career has been this overnight success um he's he's just smashed it everywhere he's been he's never needed 
a Pep Guardiola figure t- saying, no, actually how football is really played is this, you know, yeah, this, yeah, is yeah. What you, this is what you do. Um, and, you know, when you look at what happened with Greenwich, who Haaland seems to, seems to really have clicked with already. Um, mm. When you look at the sort of inhibition, like the kind of second guessing himself, which Greenwich was, ob- was obviously doing because of, you know, being sort of drilled by Pep and all these things. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of, what Greenwich is thinking as Pep is like, as Pep is so talking at him very fast is, Oh God! Like I've never, I've never had this. I've never been in this situation before. This guy thinks I'm shit. You know what I mean? That's the. I, I, I feel like that's, that's kind of what the inner voice and in Greedish is saying. Sure. Like, this guy just, he doesn't. Everything. Yeah, he's trying to correct everything I do, and he sort of do this, do that, and I'm sort of like, Whoa, you know. Mm. Whereas every single team Greedish has ever played for before in his life, people are like, give Jackie the ball, you know, yeah, get just the ball to Jackie, run. like, yeah. and that's and, and it's like, Jackie, you know, do your thing, and and now it's like, so he, I think he he obviously really struggled with that. Holland maybe is is more confident, but I don't think that necessarily means he's more amenable to to um, you know direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, and and, and you, you you already heard Guardiola uh, over the summer saying, you know, it's great when people come into the team who are normal people. You know, I think Kevin's <laughs> probably our best player. He's so humble. He's such a nice guy. He's so shy. He's humble. He doesn't think he's any better than anyone else, even though he is. You know what I mean? This is yeah, the kind yeah, of stuff yeah. Guardiola was saying, and you're like, it's pretty clear who's who's getting subtweeted here. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? We need we need to sort of lay down the. Uh, the ground rules for the group. So, you know, maybe, maybe it will all go well. And if it does, then, then you imagine city are going to win the league pretty easily. Yeah. It'll be uh, very interesting to hear. You know, I don't uh, think uh, like just to go back to the start of this, I don't think Guardiola would, would have wanted Holland. He doesn't need him. Uh, he's not the type of player he would go for. Um, I saw a graph the other day and I, I can't think of who, basically the graph was, it had been plotted out and it was like a graph of players uh, and on the x-axis, it was like, was it uh, number of touches in a game? And on the y-axis was percentage of team touches that this that the player had. Right. So it basically describes, you know, a kind of a an upward sloping right to left line. You know what I mean? It's uh, or left to, uh, sloping upwards from left to right. Um, and so at the top right corner, you know, which is guys who get loads of touches and also have a high share of the touches of the team. You know, you've got like guys like Tony Kroos or Tiago or, you yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. all those those types of guys. And then in the bottom, the very bottom left player, i.e. the player with the fewest touches and the least involvement in his team was Jamie Vardy. Right, which again wasn't surprising because I mean he literally only just tries to score a goal every so often and doesn't do anything else. But Erling Haaland was really close to Jamie Vardy. <laughs> he, he was not. He was not getting a lot of touches. You know, what I mean, and you do, you don't need. It's not like you don't. And not everyone needs to be Tony Kroos. And if it was, if everyone was, there wouldn't be a lot of goals scored. Right, sure. Erling Haaland is obviously it's not it's not about getting loads of touches. It's not about you know dominating your team. But I do feel with with Guardiola, he's always preferred players who are able to kind of be part of this Borg, mm. you know, this this uh, ball hogging machine. Um, I mean, Phil Foden is is more the type of player I think Guardiola would would want as a false nine than Haaland as as a nine again. You know, this is the kind of thing, like literally this entire 15 minutes could end up being this you, you know, as Haaland, the 60 goal. Because <laughs> I mean, it's not so people don't score a lot of goals in Guardiola's teams. I mean, the, the you know, remember he had Messi. Messi's 73 goals was in a Guardiola team. Yeah. A Guardiola team that didn't win anything that season apart from the cup. But like, it's not as though 
it's you know the capacity isn't there in a Guardiola team for a, for a central attacker to score a, a ton of goals. So probably is that probably enough for the Holland section? Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, I, I'm just waiting for the first interview where you know Pep talks about how he's so so happy, so happy with. He's Erling. so nice. He's so nice. Such a nice. Boy. He's not nice. Uh, you don't like him. We know it, and we're we're waiting for it. Uh, waiting for the fallout. Let's talk about Liverpool for a second. Like, how does Jurgen Klopp? continue to battle a team like Manchester City who like you've referred to them as a kind of Borg which I think we all understand the money that they spend is you know they spend it very well you have to admit that they do spend very well on very good players they don't always go out and spend the most but you know they spend a lot of money on very good players um, and they've got a lot of good players as well so like their squad depth is is ridiculous four Premier League titles in five seasons um Again, they're a fantastic team, but we all know what's behind it. And if you're Liverpool and you finished second on like 92 points and 91 points, maybe the, the, the season before where they didn't win, it was only another point. Maybe it was even more than 91 points. Um, you know, they've won one in the middle of that, but it must be completely disheartening to produce the kind of consistency and quality that Liverpool have produced, which in a normal era would have won them, you know, the Premier League three or four times at this point to end up behind this sort of, um, I don't want to use the word invincible because that's not right. Um, but you know what I mean? It, like yeah. no matter how many yeah. blows you land on them, they sort of get back up again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is it a thing that you go like, okay, well, We've got to do better. We've got to go harder. At some point, you just go, well, fuck. Fuck <laughs> this. Like, what What more can we do? Well, the only thing that would give me a lot of confidence, I mean, what, the thing that would give me confidence that they will do it is that they've been doing it for, for years now. Mm. Liverpool, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, they, they their standards haven't really, well, sorry, their standards, of course, slipped disastrously in the season after they won the title when they, they totally collapsed in the middle of the season. But even that season, they had started quite well. And I think in December, we're sort of leading the league. And then it just all, it all sort of fell to pieces mm. and injuries and so on and so forth. But, you know, their their capacity to sort of come back from these disappointments. I mean, it is, it's, it's a strange one. It's like the season they had last season was a phenomenal season. You know, like uh, yeah. when you, when you the number of games that they played. I mean, I think they did. They lose five matches altogether. Unfortunately, one of which was the Champions League uh, final. Yeah, only two um, in the league. You know, they did win a couple of cups, although that seems like a kind of just trinkets. You know, um, mm. that wasn't really what they came for. Um, I mean, Klopp talks about like the parade was huge. You know, I mean, Klopp is a hype man. Like, you know what I mean? He's a yeah. I mean, this is his job is like to try and get everyone feel. I, I don't know how you could feel good after that. I mean, it was it was very disappointing end to the season overall for them. Um, but I suppose you know here they here they are again. Like, I mean, what what else are they got to do? I have to say they look they looked really good against City. I thought in the Community Shield. I mean, if you were looking at the, at, at that game, I know the teams haven't got to sort of peak fitness, but you you would think I imagine as a Liverpool player after that game, well. There's actually not really much between us here. There's nothing between us. We can we can do this, you know. We can do this, and uh, you know they, they have to. Uh, one of the kind of weird aspects of the Premier League now is just that you, you sort of have to do it from day one. You know, you we'll almost know after five weeks of the season whether or not like yeah, you can yeah, yeah. you can absolutely blow up and, and just be left in the dust. 
um, just the, the pace of the pace at which the teams now accumulate points. Like it doesn't leave any room for like, oh, it's a comeback in the second half of the season. You know what I mean? It's just that just hasn't been a feature of recent history. Yeah, but you know, I just I just feel as though it is. It's um, it must have been disappointing, but they've probably forgotten about it. I mean, it's it already seems like forever ago, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, whenever the Champions League final was, it seems like it happened about 35 years ago. <laughs> uh, and prob- and the players are living in the same kind of weird, accelerated or slowed down reality we all are. So, you know. They've uh, been, know. yeah, they've been relatively quiet in the transfer market, I guess. They've brought in, uh, you know, Darwin Nunez. Um, Luis Diaz came in last season as well. And obviously... Well, is, is Darwin Nunez not their record signing? I mean, he's a mega signing by, the, by their... I mean, I, I was talking more about numbers numbers rather than um, rather than sort of outlay on one particular player. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well, I suppose if you look at the actual, you know, the net spend, obviously the key... Yeah, the that's key what talking about here. Net spend. Net spend. I mean, it's, it's, re- it's a single digit... Uh, figure right? It's it's like, you know, they've they've um, they've yeah they've okay so transfer. I guess five million, um, less than five million according mm. to Transfermarkt's numbers. Um, seventy-seven million spent, seventy-two million brought in. I mean, that's the thing that Liverpool continue to do very well is sell players now. Okay, oh yeah, this, preaching this, to the choir here. Holy shit! Like the way they, we'll come to Arsenal and selling maybe in a minute. But yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's just it's just incredible what happens at Arsenal. But you know, Liverpool. Uh, I mean, if if this had been Arsenal, obviously it would have been Sadio Mane leaving after the last year of his contract. Whereas in this case, he's sold to Bayern Munich for money. Yeah. Now I don't think they would have wanted to sell him. Is the difference? Uh, um, do you I not think, think? Do you not no. think? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think in the in the form certainly that he was in the condition that he's in. Mm. Um, but uh, they had to make a decision, though, didn't they, between Mane and and Salah? Like, were both of them going into the final year of their contract? Both of yeah. them sort of pushing thirty. They kind of had to make a decision on one of them. Yeah. So they've 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 gone with Salah, obviously. Um, I mean, I don't know if the option was there to choose Mane instead and, and send Salah on his way. You know, I'm not sure. But, you know, if you look at it numbers-wise, uh, you know, Salah scores more, sets up more. You know, I mean, if you look at it mm. from that point of view, you know, he, he is a better player than Mane. Um, but Mane's been a huge player for that team for, for almost the entire Klopp era. Yeah. You know, just the sort of aggression like that he plays the game with, just the kind of, you know, the getting to the ball first, the kind of intensity that he has. Um, a huge player to lose. Uh, you know, I think it's a bigger loss, certainly to Liverpool, than, say, uh, Gabriel Jesus would, would be for Man City. I mean, I'm not saying that Gabriel Jesus is a good player, but in terms of his importance to the team, sure. Mane was, was much more important. And uh, so it's going to be, you know, they're, 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 they lose something there. But, yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, this is the thing that annoys, I think, a lot of Liverpool supporters, the fact that, well, once again, we we spent five million pounds. You know, I'm not I'm not sure exactly how you're meant to compete with Man City on the basis of on the basis of that. But on the other side, they have a, at least bought the forward that Jurgen Klopp apparently was very keen to sign. I hope it's on more than the strength of just him playing very well against them in the Champions League. Because if this guy doesn't work out, I mean, we talked about Haaland, the pressure on Haaland, <laughs> but that's just that's kind of almost you, you, even if Haaland is a disaster 
Like if something, you know, in the worst, the worst case actually is, is he gets injured. I mean, Haaland has, has missed a few games uh, with injury. You know, obviously that's it. Nobody wants to see that happen. But even if he, he kind of struggles to adapt or to fit in and there are issues and, you know, they lose to Tottenham or something because Haaland hasn't picked someone up. You know what I mean? This mm. type of situation arises and then Pep puts him on the bench. Even if that happens, you'd still kind of assume that Man City are, are, are good enough to get more than 90 points, right? Yeah. Like they don't need him. Like they've uh, maybe that's that's actually slightly changed. The, the fact is because they have sell Jay-Z's and they sell Sterling as well. So okay, they've lost some, some players. But if if this guy if, if Nunez doesn't work for Liverpool, like absolute curtains. And I think it's uh, you know you could say that you know there's still Diaz, Jota, Salah, or whatever. But to have spent so much money. Um, they really, really need this guy to uh, to succeed. It has happened almost all the previous occasions when they've when they've gone really big in the transfer market mm-hmm. since Klopp has arrived. Naby Keita, maybe not so much, um, but they need that to happen again. Yeah, it is. I mean, the thing about being able to sell well is that it allows you to spend. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not really been an issue for Arsenal, and we'll we'll come to Arsenal in a couple of minutes. Um, but you know. The idea of like a five million pound net spend as some suggestion that you're not being ambitious isn't quite there, is it? You know, if you can generate money for the players you don't want, I mean, that seems pretty ideal, even if it means at the end of the day, you're sort of balancing your books or or whatever, which, you know, in football terms, mm, doesn't seem that important to many fans. But in reality, at some point, if you keep spending 100 120 150 million in the summer without getting any money back um you know that that, yeah you turn into barcelona and and as we can see from what's happening over there this summer you know one of the best run clubs in the world martin brathwaite on 130,000 pounds they kind of deserve that to to be fair the way they they got that player in but now he won't leave but i mean it is martin brathwaite have like a personal fortune of in the hundreds of millions does he i don't i don't know yeah I, i i think i remember um Seeing this before, uh, he's got like he's got like a couple of hundred million from his from his other career as a, as an investor, Martin Brightway. But he wow. still wants his money. He still wants his money from Barcelona. It's not about the money. It's about the respect, uh, and it's about proper order. <laughs> now they're trying to they're just trying to bundle this guy, bundle this guy out the door. He's got more levers than they have. Like. Yeah, I mean their their strategy of like uh, spending millions on players and then telling other players we can't afford to pay you is is pretty um, pretty cheeky. I think that might be one way of putting it. I mean, it's just it's just gangsterism. Like, <laughs> really, it is. Like, it's just like oh, you know, get it? Like, they're just trying to blackmail players to sort of they're they're just hoping that players will sort of crumple. Yeah, and and just go along with it. Just just because they can't take it anymore. You know, that's and that's what that's clearly what they're trying to what trying to do with these guys. Yeah. Um but, you know, I don't uh, I don't know if it's necessarily going to work. No. I mean, Real Madrid were trying to do with Bale for years and we saw where that got them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it it seems to me that the, that the players if they hold out, I mean, Barcelona can try and make their lives miserable. Um but, you know, at at some point you dig in because you just it's like, well, hang on, why should I Yeah. Why should I go along with being screwed over by you just you, to make your life easier? Yeah, exactly. You gave me the contract. Yeah, so uh, so I would expect them to get paid in the end. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What about Chelsea's transfer strategy this summer, which uh, appears to be see who other teams are interested in and trying to buy <laughs> and then trying to buy them. Um, yeah. It's quite uh, unique. In a way, it's um, maybe speaks to the new ownership. Also, well, they can't do worse than last season because last season they bought Lukaku for nearly hundred million and it was just a complete turkey. Yeah, and that was a total disaster, which ruined the season. You know, uh, so whatever, however, however badly um, Todd Bowley's team, which I which seems to be mainly him, T Bowley at the moment. <laughs> he's, <laughs> John, he's Todd Bowley's of, making a lot of calls. Yeah, he's director of football. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, his phone is melting, you know, as well with all the uh, all the action that's going on. Um, he would still struggle to do to do worse than than Marina Gronowski and Petr Cech did last season. So, um, I mean, they've okay the players who they've signed. Sterling, I kind of got the feeling he was ready to to move on from from mm. Guardiola. He's like, I've learned enough, and now it's time to make my way in the world. You know, back home um, to to London and. Yeah, um, and sort of maybe be a be a be a sort of a have a fir- like first team undisputed first team status, which I think is probably something he feels he deserves at this point in his mm. career. Feels like he's earned that, and still at City after what seven seven seasons, he was still not um, kind of guaranteed to play even most of the matches, um, and that's despite scoring you know a lot. I mean, did he score more goals than anyone else? In the time that he was at City, maybe he couldn't be far off. He was certainly one of the top scorers. Maybe you know, maybe Aguero he get as many as Aguero. Yeah, but you know, he was sort of up there. Um, so this is a uh, obviously for personal reasons good for him to try. He's now a more senior figure in the team. Koulibaly is like a player everybody wanted to sign a couple of years ago, um, and you know, obviously he he sort of plugs a gap. But I mean, there's too many gaps. You know, Chelsea have made a real a real mess of this. I mean, in terms of letting players walk away on free transfers, to lose someone like Andreas Christensen is a disaster. You know, whatever about Rudiger. Mm. Rudiger was kind of, you know, getting towards that that stage where it's like, you know, how long of a contract do we really want to give? You know, I mean, he's he's 30 next year. Um, what, you know, can we really afford to... You know, you know, he's, he's sort of more in that zone. But Christensen was supposed to really be the future of Chelsea's defence. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. like a, a really top player um, who, who's got like a lot of peak years ahead of him, 
and you know should not be losing this kind of free transfer it's just such a mess that uh, i mean obviously they were hit by this they were completely blindsided by the by the sanctions and and you know abramovich being chased out of the uk i mean he, he wasn't actually in the uk but you know obviously what happened there mm. um and when that happens there's a lot of players going do i really want to resign with this club and i feel like it's a problem they're they're surely they have at the moment uh which is players looking at Chelsea and thinking, are they still the same Chelsea that we have kind of got used to, you know, we've got used to thinking of Chelsea as the most powerful London club over the last 20 years since Abramovich has been there, right? I mean, they've been like consistently getting the best results out of the clubs in London. They've been winning uh, the Premier League more than anyone else other than Man City. Um, Is that true since Abramovich arrived? I mean, certainly United can't have won many more than them in that period. So, uh, so they're one of the sort of pillars of English football, um, but mm, are they still going to be? You know, are Chelsea maybe looking at going, entering a, a sort of a few years, a phase a bit more like what Arsenal have been through, you know, in, in the sort of later Wenger years? Is that kind of maybe what the future holds for them? I'd say there'd be a lot of players who are looking at Chelsea and thinking, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. Uh, or at least ask for a lot more. <laughs> yeah, see what yeah, they yeah. say. You know, see what they say because there's obviously a sort of a desperation on their side. You, you saw the stuff Tuchel was saying after the, after they lost to Arsenal was yeah. incredible. You know what I mean? Talk about like you know panic stations. Like for him to come out like okay they've lost four 0 It's not it's not good, but like I didn't like it from Tuchel. I thought this this has got a bang of self preservation off it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is got. This sounds a bit like a guy who's in an almost Frank Lampard kind of way, <laughs> pointing out there's a disaster coming down the tracks here, and don't say, don't say I didn't warn you about it. You know mm. what I mean? As opposed to any kind of, um, you know, a guy who who was still acting as though he was going to be the manager this time next year or in or this you know in, in four years time you know saying well you know whatever sort of more, more positive way you can react to a bad defeat in preseason but the way he did is yeah you know we've got a couple of quality but we need a massive amount of quality players you know there's no time and i can't guarantee we're going to be ready and you know it yeah. just it didn't sound too promising really no i mean um, it, it feels like it's a, an empire on crumbling foundations which you know obviously from well, the foundations have been have been abramovich has propped them up yeah for 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 20 years like they've consistently spent more than they've earned uh, despite this big sort of hedge fund operation they have going on with players you know they've, they've got this massive portfolio of of players that sort of playing the market mm. you know like loan players and all this kind of stuff which I'm sure is turning over some money, but like the facts, the facts are that over time the losses accumulated and accumulated and accumulated until they eventually ended up owing Abramovich. What, what was it like? A two billion, billion or two billion? Yeah, something like, like that. a billion and a half. It was a, you know a huge amount of money, and this was like so they're they're chronically that that that's what they've got used to being like this sort of chronically loss making sugar daddy entity, and Todd Bowley is American, so I'm assuming he's not he's not going to play it that way. Mm. You know, he's not, he, he, he doesn't want to do that. So quite how he gets from, like, obviously what he wants is to be running uh, a Liverpool-type institution. You know what I mean? Sure. Like a, a club that's, that, to be able to spend five million net in the summer and still think you've got a decent chance of winning the Premier League and Champions League. That's, that's, where, that's where he wants to get to. It took Liverpool quite a long time to get from, from where they started to, um, to where they 
you know, the sort of desirable state that they that they managed to sort of work themselves into after a few years. Um, so you can't, you couldn't expect it to be an easy few years at Chelsea. So uh, yeah, and and certainly um, Tuchel didn't really, to me, feel like the kind of calm, uh, statesmanlike figure who was prepared to, you know, be a kind of a you know while while all the everything while all around were losing their heads he too was losing his head yeah. actually he you know he was ranting and raving louder than anyone so yeah uh, yeah i mean i, I don't, don't feel i don't feel confident about this yeah uh, i do, yeah it's kind of like this is not what i signed up for when i signed up to this job you know there was like endless money endless possibilities in the transfer market and now clearly yeah. lots of players want to leave. There are still players who want to go. I mean, I watched um, only the highlights of that Arsenal-Chelsea game, but like, it was hilarious. It was just mm. hilarious to watch some of them just look at Arsenal players run past them and like, for the goals, the the, the, the entire concept of marking did not seem to be anything that they were aware of. So, yeah, um, yeah it'll be fun to see, you know, what happens. Meltdowns, of course, in football are are, are are fun. Um, before we very quickly talk about Arsenal, um, just Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag in there. He's having to deal with some disciplinary issues as well. Of course, mm. Cristiano Ronaldo just didn't bother coming back for training, then yeah. came back for training, uh, called himself the king, and then left at <laughs> halftime uh, in a game. <laughs> and, yeah. and Ten Hag is going, uh, what? no, you, you, you can't do that. He's got... Um, quite a job on his hands to rebuild whatever Manchester United need to be rebuilt into because I do think you know we've talked about Arsenal post Wenger and the the way things were well we did this didn't work now we're doing something else it looks like it's potentially working but Manchester United have kind of gone from one thing to another thing to another thing in this sort of like a, a slow rolling stone uh, gathering the moss of decline, if you like, um, over the last number of years. And, and they've got to uh, you know, change the way that they do stuff. And, and Ten Hag seems like a, a reasonable choice to try and do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, I mean, the last season to me has surely got to be their rock bottom, right? I mean, can they sink lower than 58 points? I hope so. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think they can. I actually don't think. I don't think they can do any worse than that. I think that was that was as bad. You know, losing five two to Watford or whatever. I mean, there was some crazy. Did they, did they lose four 0 to Brighton? Well, I have a vague memory of, of yeah, Brighton three or four. I think thrashing them. Mm. Uh, you know, they lost five nil and four 0 to Liverpool. They 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 lost. To, they just were. A total disaster, uh, and I don't think I, I think they, they've got a. The only way is up, as far as I'm concerned. From that point, mm. um, now the Ronaldo thing is crucial to, that this gets solved, and I think what Ronaldo has done is kind of a bit of a gift to Ten Hag, because Ronaldo is is trying to bully his way out, and to, that's great. To where that's great. though? That's the thing. Where? Who cares? No, I don't care. Hope, but hopefully, like- hopefully Chelsea, right? From if you're Man United, you're thinking, well, hopefully Chelsea, maybe Bowley will be desperate enough. Oh, that to, sounds like to get this guy in, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and hope that well, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, you know, you you, you know, they they can't uh, 
you know, I've signed the, 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 the top player on, on Facebook or whatever, you know, I've, I've signed the number one followed athlete in the world. I mean, how, how can the Chelsea fans be angry with me now? That's, that, that's one possible. I mean, it seems to me like the logical solution here is Ronaldo to go to sporting Lisbon for a pay cut, you know, because of the emotion. Because, um, you know, sporting Lisbon are, are sporting are in the Champions League. I mean, the whole point is that he, he has to be in the Champions League because he has to keep extending his, his little record, his huge, his big record. I mean, it's like the, the being the top scorer in the Champions League is a big deal to Ronaldo. He has to keep putting distance between himself and his only rival. What is the, what's the current state of that um, top scorer race? Is Ronaldo, like, how far ahead of Lionel Messi is he? Let me check I don't that. know. Um, um, okay, he's. Uh, I mean, he he is currently fifteen goals ahead. Yeah, so I hope he's going to score another fifteen goals. Not Maybe. not in one season in the Champions League. Well, I mean, Messi has. I don't think Messi's ever scored as many as fifteen. I mean, that's. I mean, it's a it's it's a lot, but it's not. It's not inconceivable that Messi could do that. It's not even sixteen goals, obviously, to to take the to take the lead, and that's the risk that Ronaldo runs if he's not in it for a season. Um, we know there's no chance of that happening to mm. Messi, obviously, with where he is, and so he needs to get back in somehow. Um, Chelsea could offer him that. Uh, I mean, it would be crazy, an idiotic signing for Chelsea, um, obviously, but that doesn't mean it it, it couldn't happen. Yeah, it's um, football after and sport, all. But for sporting, like, okay, it's obviously a different type of signing because, I mean, he's like the, this, the greatest Portuguese athlete um, coming back to his home. But there's a lot of narrative uh, stuff around that. I mean, obviously, mm. Ronaldo would have to take a huge pay cut, but he's already got a lot of money. You know, he's already, then again, he's all, he's already got a lot of Champions League goals, and he still wants more. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you're sort of accumulating these things, you you want to keep accumulating them. But but from take from Ten Hag's point of view, this is great, right? The worst thing would be for Ronaldo to be turning up and 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 sort of acting like he was going to be a normal part of the team. By far, the best thing is for Ronaldo to angrily force his way out of the club, making it look as though it was Ronaldo's fault and not Ten Hag who kicked him out. That's great because they have to get rid of him. You know, mm. he can't be there anymore. Like if, if, if Man United want to improve at all this season, he can't be he can't be there. Because he's he's holding back the whole thing. Like I mean he's you can see the the effect on the team is already obvious. Um Solskjaer lasted what eight or nine matches once Ronaldo had arrived. Um you know, he was he was finished really the moment Ronaldo walked in the door. Um Ragnar comes in, he's like, Okay, let's talk about pressing and Ronaldo's like <laughs> You know, like, I mean, clearly I'm not going to do that. So I don't know who you, I don't actually know who you are, but like clearly that's, that idea is never going to fly here. Yeah. And, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Uh, but it's also the fact that, you know, you see him saving his, his energy in matches, obviously just for the trying to score. He's not going to waste energy pressing because, you know, he's got more important things. He's got more important things that he needs to do in the field, score the goal in every game that like he feels gives him, mm. gives him value as a person. Um, but also, uh, he needs to save the energy in training as well. You know, see, you got a, a squad of players who you're trying to, like, this is a pretty sorry bunch of guys, right? In terms of the, the team that you've taken over, they're in a bad way. Uh, a pretty, They've been through a pretty traumatic season. You saw that thing about, like, nearly all of the most abused players on social media are Man United players. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with Ronaldo way out, way out top, although I, I'm, I'm imagining, a, like, it was interesting. You see, Ronaldo was way out in front of everyone, I mean, which is not surprising considering his, his how big his social media 
you know profile is it's, it's way bigger it's as big as all the rest of them put together yeah multiple times of that okay so he's obviously going to attract lots of um haters then but i imagine that like it wasn't man united fans and mainly abusing ronaldo it was just mainly messy fans or pesky fans <laughs> or whatever but the, the player underneath him, the only one that had nearly half as many abusive messages was Harry Maguire. And I'd say it was nearly all United fans. You know, like, I mean, my God. Mm. Like, what, he, what he's what he been through, like, in terms of, uh, you know, it's grim. It's grim. But, like, so they've, they've, been, they've, they've been in a bad place. And what do they need to do? They need to get together and work incredibly hard and try to start feeling good about themselves again. That's what they need to do. And the, literally the the... the the, the basic building block, the first step that they need to take is train really hard. And to remember that actually being a football player is number one, uh, is an athletic endeavor. Like it's, it's, it's not actually like um, being an actor anymore. There was a study uh, years ago on Everton. There was a guy who, I can't remember the name of the guy, he was actually an Irish guy. Um, who who kind of observed Everton, this would have been back in sort of the 70s, early 70s, uh, and kind of spent a season there kind of analyzing them from a kind of uh, an occupational point of view. He, the guy was doing like a PhD and uh, to try to figure out what, what was just involved in this job of being a professional footballer. And one of the conclusions I remember from it was, actually, this isn't really like being a sportsman in a lot of other ways. The profession it's most like is acting. Right, like they're they're like actors. They're highly strung. They're under a lot of pressure from the to perform in front of the public. You know, they get a lot of uh, joy out of this. A lot of that is still true, but they're now running like four times as much as they were. Yeah, then, you yeah. know what I mean. It's like, so so like you have to be super fit. And United have not been like they they you know how long is it really since you've seen a United team that looks strong was able to outrun the opposition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's been it's been a while. You have to have that as a minimum starting point, and that's one of the things that Ten Hag has to do to even just to motivate the squad. You know, to kind of you have, when when people when players feel like they're working hard, it, it actually does improve the it does improve the mood. They think they want to be lazy, but actually they they don't. But the problem is if you got Ronaldo there, he is just he doesn't want to run. He's done all the running, and now it's just all about adding goals to the Champions League record. And he is certainly not, he, he does not want to be running his ass off and training uh, when he's going to need that energy in his legs uh, on Saturday or on Sunday. So for that, like, it's a huge problem for a coach because because the thing is that this that Ronaldo is not just like an old guy who's kind of too, um, doesn't, doesn't want to train hard every day. He's also like the most famous person at the club, the most famous player in the league, and someone who vastly outranks you in you know, sort of mm. every aspect of football status. And if he kind of looks at you and kind of raises an eyebrow mockingly at your suggestion of like <laughs> training routine, like it's everyone else is, is going to also, yeah. you know, it, it has a bad effect on the, on the other players. So that's the, that's the number one thing. We, they still haven't solved this problem, but the signs are good that they might be able to solve it because of the way that Ronaldo has behaved, which I think is a gift to Ten Hag. Yeah, could well be. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I hope it, it festers um, right until the end of the window and there's no satisfactory conclusion for anybody uh, other than for him to stay and, and completely fuck things up from, from the inside out. Um, well, the other, the other thing is the De Jong stuff, right? Because this is also huge for them. Like, if they bring in De Jong, then... The, I mean, given that he played such amazing, he played the best football of his, of his career under Ten Hag for Ajax and is a player who I think could transform the team, right? I mean, in terms of he could 
vastly improve vastly is maybe overstating but he he's a player who's capable of improving the performances of everyone surrounding him in the team mm. because he's able to take the ball under pressure he's able to deal with it under pressure and he's able to give good passes to people in good positions earlier than you know scott mctominay <laughs> you, know, you know you know what i mean yeah, scott yeah, yeah. mctominay like i don't know if you saw that the the story <laughs> Uh, I think it was in the Telegraph. There was the, the, you know, Ronaldo was he played against Rayo Vallecano for an hour, and then he mm. half an hour he's taken off, and he, and he left or whatever. He left to say with with Dallo, his his sort of, you know, there's an example of like the Dallo went with with Ronaldo. Probably mm. knew he should have stuck to the end of the game. And Ten Hag was like, oh, this is unacceptable. You know, we're we're a team. That means you stay to the end. You don't leave the stadium before the game is finished. So that's the thing. But in the in the same story, it mentioned that Scott McTominay was seen was seen still at Old Trafford an hour after full time. <laughs> it's like <laughs> McTominay never goes home. Like no one wants to be a Man United player more than McTominay. And you know that's a great thing. It's a great thing to have a guy or a couple of guys like that in the squad. And he is going to give them everything he's got. But what he's got is not as much as what Frankie de Jong has got. He can, I think, make a lot of difference, maybe in partnership with a player like McTominay. Mm. But in order for any of this to, to have any relevance, they have to get him out of Barcelona. And, you know, I, I had thought it was a bit strange uh, for the first like month or so of this saga that United seemed to be the only team who were interested in, in de Jong. Um, but now Chelsea, as you were saying, you know, Chelsea have, have been consulting, have been cogging other people's uh, uh, transfer wish lists and have realized that maybe they should get involved as well. And Chelsea <laughs> are in the Champions League. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So whether or not, you know, and, and, and in terms of what they're offering, I'm sure that the offers are going up and up as the window gets shorter and shorter. So that would be a big setback, I think, for United having kind of invested a lot. Having, I, I assume when they agreed to deal with Barcelona, they kind of assumed, we're going to get this guy. This is a, this is a big leap forward for us to then suddenly be kind of cast back to square one. Mm. will be, will be tough. And then, you know, the season is obviously starting like on, on Friday. Mm. Yeah. Todd Bowley, just sort of looking at team com and seeing who's buying, <laughs> who are they after? Oh, well, we'll get that guy. I mean, this we'll is like, you know, know, he's I definitely know. looking at football, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, this, this, <laughs> like, I mean, he, he'd be crazy not to look at football, right? He's looking at, at, them at like, this what? point. Yeah. You, you use, you use whatever you can. And at yeah. this point, I think he is in the, he is in the, I, I will just run this through football manager. Zone. List attackers, uh, filter by most expensive, uh, therefore must be the best. So yeah, we'll see what they do. Okay. Look, let's, let's talk a little bit about Arsenal and what you make of the summer business, because last summer, um, there was a clear strategy to bring in young players. This summer, there's also a, a you know, an addition to that in bringing in some um, real quality and experience. Gabriel Jesus up front, Sinchenko, you know, winners at Manchester City. So they bring that mentality in. They brought in Fabio Vieira from from Porto as well. Um, how do you think the Arsenal squad is looking ahead of the the new season? Um, short. What? Do they have? Do they have a? I mean, short physically. Do they oh. have a rule? Do, do you have to be able to? Um, is there a, a notch on the wall at one point seven five meters that a do says no one taller than this is getting into this oh, club? There's 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 big guys. William Saliba is back. Gabrielle is there. Uh, uh, okay. Tommy Asu. Now this is summer there. though, they yeah. bought everyone they they signed was maximum one point seven five. Yeah, meters. yeah, yeah. It's been the small number ten playmaker kind of physical uh thing yeah that's fair that was just what they they've they've already they've already got the 10 poles that you know they've got big big iron uh yeah and so on and so forth yes okay now fair, fair enough um uh 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they actually do look pretty good now. You know, I mean, they, they I feel like it's got to the point now where uh, now Arteta has got to do it this season. Mm. Like, I, I think when we talked last season, um, I was saying I thought Arteta was was basically going in the right direction. And, you know, I think maybe it could be good. And actually, the season turned out to be better than I than I was expecting it to be. But probably where they finished was maybe about par. I mean, obviously, they finished ahead of Man United, which was good. But the the, the caveat there being <laughs> United were so bad. Like, nobody could beat them to sixth place, right? You couldn't mm. possibly fail um, uh, to, 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 to get past them for that. So now I kind of think, like, right, he actually does have the squad now to, to do this. And when I say do this, I mean get into the Champions League. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the that should be the expectation, and yeah. I don't want to say bare minimum because seasons can play out, and context is important, and yeah. it might not happen, but there may be reasons, you know, beyond just being terrible. But you know, I think that is if if, if an Arsenal side without really a recognised centre forward for like sixty percent of last season um, can finish fifth. If you add somebody like Gabriel Jesus to your team, who is, um, I don't know if you saw the game, any of the game against Sevilla. Sevilla. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just fucking unbelievable. What he brings to the team in terms of his his work rate, his ability, his goal scoring. You know, we watched Lacazette last season who would pick up the ball in midfield and bring somebody else into play and just could not get into the box to get on the end of things. And the first goal, yeah. Jesus scores against Sevilla, picks it up out wide, starts a move, and there, fucking two seconds later, he's in the box putting the ball in the back of the net. So th- I think when you when you r- fill a really uh, big need, when you fill that very well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be a bit more optimistic about what you can do during the season. No, absolutely. And and I, I think he's, he's now got to do it. Like, I, I, if... if if they didn't make the Champions League this season, with the squad that they have, with the investment that they've made, mm. it, I I think they will they will change Arteta, um, because at a certain point, I mean, I was looking at the the figures of Arsenal recently, and it is actually amazing how much money they've spent. Yeah, you know, in in sort of net terms, or I think they're close to four hundred million since Arteta um, came in. It, it, you know, which is mainly to do with their inability to sell anyone. Yes, you know, it's that's just a problem. like um, that is a problem. They, they you know, because because Arsenal players uh, are are their contracts are too big. They're you know overpaid and underperforming players. Nobody wants these guys, so you end up having to give them away mm. or wait till their contract to to expire before you can before you can get rid of them. Um, but it seems like maybe they've reached the end of that now, or they've kind of managed to to dispose of a lot of the sort of trash that was um, clogging up their squad. Uh, and they do clearly have now some, you know, a, a kind of a, an exciting looking attack. Uh, I mean, it, this was the case even before they added Jesus. But you feel like with Jesus, he has the quality to stitch together a lot of this stuff and also the score. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like you were saying about Lacazette, who could maybe do the first part, but not the second. And, you know, what if, like, we've only known Gabriel Jesus as a Man City player. Um, what if he does a reverse Grealish here? 
Like what if there's <laughs> what, what if there's like if he if he just insanely explodes? Like as people are like, well, I, you know, Pep wanted me to, you know, he was very clear about what he wanted when I was on the ball. Whereas here, I just you know expressed myself, and that's why I've you know that's why I'm at seven goals after three matches. I mean, um, yeah, I see that that. Uh, I mean, he is he the most owned player in fantasy football at the moment? Everybody loves. Yeah, Jesus. I saw that. I saw Everyone, that. Everyone's expecting him to. Uh, He's going to gonna score s- start a lot of games, isn't he? I mean, that's the thing. It's not like Arsenal are replete with uh, a collection of centre forwards where you're looking and going, "Well, which one of them is going to start?" There is really, you know, he is the number one. Eddie Nketiah is the number two, but clearly Gabriel Jesus, when fit, is going to start a lot of games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much whenever, whenever he's fit, he'll, he'll be in the team, uh, you would imagine. And then Martinelli is, like, such an exciting player. Um, you know, again, a lot of it depends on how they kind of, how they link up. But, you know, if you've got, like, Martinelli, Odegaard, um, Saka, mm. Jesus, like, you, you're into the this realm now of, like, okay, well, there aren't that many teams in the league that have a better sort of sounding line. I haven't even mentioned, you know, Smith Rowe. Um, you're, you're at that sort of point. Arsenal mm. haven't been in this position for a long time, I think. You know, for for for, for sort of the entire time that Aubameyang was at the club, like I thought Aubameyang was a good player, but it was as though, I mean, the the other, they, they, the Lacazette was sort of, their, their time was overlapping. They never, in my opinion, complimented each other. No. There, there was always this, and I was obviously was, there was always this sense of how does this all fit together? Whereas now I can see immediately how this fits together. You know, yeah. it's it's really clear. It's like Jesus in the middle, Martinelli on the left, um, Saka on the right. I mean, I, I'm saying this. <laughs> it's, uh, Saka plays everywhere. I mean, Saka has, has played all over the place. Um, you know, Odegaard, and then two players in midfield. I mean, if they're going to play with four, I mean, do you think they're going to do that? That was that's one thing that I was looking at also with Arteta that I don't really like about him. Or I found a bit uh, uh, the one one reason that I'd kind of one of the the decisions that he's made in his time that I'd kind of question a little bit is this habit he has or has had of kind of switching between three and four at the back, which to me always seems like okay if you want to do that for a game or two, you know if there's a specific game where you think that maybe three at the back works for a particular reason to do that game, then yeah. Or, you know, vice versa. If you're if you're somebody who, who likes to play with three mm. and, you know, you think, well, we'll play with the back four here. It's you know, okay. It's been mostly four now though. I think it's it's very he's very much wedded to the four now. I mean there were a couple of games maybe last season where that happened and certainly in the No, he barely part. he barely did it last season. It was yeah. the season season before I mm. think he started with it or or you know, he ended he ended the season before that by playing by having switched to a three. Then he, he kind of started last season with a three and then he changed. So what I mean is this he's kind of flip flop between the two things, but like for months at a time. Which always makes me wonder. Well, how, well, do you have a clear idea of what it is that you want to do? Because it's pretty difficult to put together a squad or a team that you know when you're kind of changing the big pattern of the team. Mm. You know, every so often. So that's you know. It's, I hope I hope that he stays with. Um, yeah. I hope that he stays with four. He will. Yeah. It's it's definitely a back four team now for sure. And is Zinchenko a left back? I think so. I think so. I think he's a left back because when they were left back against Sevilla, yeah, he was. And when they were after uh, Lisandro Martinez, uh, that was for him to play at left back 
and not at centre half because five foot nine central defenders in the Premier League aren't that. Um, I don't know if I would do it. You know, regardless of how good a player is, I know yeah. there's examples of of you know some five foot nine central defenders Canavaro, who've been Canavaro and there's Ayala exactly, you know, but but that they're they're extremely extremely rare. And if if Lisandro Martinez is in that kind of uh, bracket, well then Manchester United. Well, I can see what it was attracted I do to Lisandro Martinez certainly, which is well his his um, short stature. You know, uh, <laughs> he does. He does like a one point seven five meter five, or below yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the exact opposite approach to Conte. It's going to be interesting to see that. Like Conte, um, Conte. It seems like he he won't allow anyone less than six feet to sign for Tottenham. Yeah, you know, he's look at Tottenham signing since he arrived. They're all these just big guys, you know. And I have to say, um, I think in terms of the Premier League, that is the that is the. Uh, the way of doing things that has more usually been successful. I mean, I think over the last few years, uh, Man City, Man City are obviously the, the dominant team in the in the last five years or whatever, and they are one of the smallest teams, I guess, in the league. Mm. Um, but generally, in the in the in the Premier League, um, big strong players have been uh, have been part of the big the best teams. Not least the one that Edu was in himself. That's very true. Know? That's I mean, Edu true. was probably one of Edu was like six feet tall. Was one of the smallest players in the in the Invincibles team, um, you know. So he's obviously decided to go in a different direction now. But yeah, I mean, you, you, I I can appreciate you don't want to talk about Tottenham, but Tottenham to me look like they could be very strong this season. You know, top four I mean, contenders. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely top four because you know because of the problems that Chelsea have, because of the kind of you know, the United being so bad last season. Like, you, can you see United adding 20 points? Maybe, but that would still only take them to 78. You know what I mean? Um, like, Tottenham... And the thing that I like about Conte is that he's so clear about what it is that he wants the team to look like. You know, it's like he just has such a... He's just like, okay. And he comes in and, and quite quickly sets up... It's kind of the opposite from from the, the sort of slight flip-flopping that I sort of detecting Arteta at various points. Where am I three? Am I four? He's like, this is the pattern. These are the types of players that I want. Mm. I want them all to be six foot plus. I want them all to be, uh, I'm going to spend the entire preseason running them until they puke so that they are going to be one of the fittest teams or, you know, I'm going to demand that from them. Yeah. And that's, that's where we start. And then, okay, we'll figure out game by game what we're going to do in each game. He's also very good at coming up with, with, you know, little ploys to use in each game and you could see that in their their win against City particularly I think last season um, but they're going to be such a strong physical team which I think is uh, yeah I think that's uh, it's going to make it competitive anyway for sure mm -hmm. you know top four and what I would just say about Arteta and, and that sort of um, flip-flopping between the three and the four I think it was to do with the quality of the defenders that Arsenal had at their disposal you know it's yeah. different when you're playing with uh, David Luiz, Callum Chambers and, and Rob Holding than if you're playing with, you know, Gabriel and Ben White or Gabriel and, and William Saliba. I think that makes a, a big difference. And he's always talked about the the need or his desire for, I think the word he uses is specificity in, in certain positions. So I think this is very much a, a, a back four team now. And you know, the the key difference, um, hopefully for Arsenal this season will be further forward because, you know, adding Jesus, adding Vieira, 
you know, bringing on Martinelli, uh, Odegaard, uh, Saka, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it uh, it's exciting from from that perspective, from an Arsenal fans. Uh, no, it's, oh, it's it really is. So so I kind of see them as being. I mean, I don't really. I I wonder maybe if maybe Tottenham have now do have a team which is strong enough to actually compete for the title. I think they might do. I think they might. I think they might be nearly there. I don't know if Arsenal are, but I still think that Arsenal should be should be capable of getting to the Champions League. Again, it depends on, you know, where Chelsea going to be able to bring in. Like Chelsea were talking about signing Frank, Frankie de Jong as well, although I don't, I'm not sure if they're sure what they do with them. I, I feel as though Chelsea are, are not going to be that strong. Uh, so really, I, I, I think, um, I mean, we haven't mentioned Newcastle. I can't believe. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that Newcastle, um, you know, they haven't really done anything. Are they, are they like just the unloved? Um, the, it's a tough sell. Even with all the money, it's a tough sell, I think, for players, for top players. And, I, you know, I, don't, I, I think we should probably just knock this on the head now because I've taken up way too much of your time. But I think, you mm-hmm. know, you think about when Manchester City got rich. They had to go through a period where they were buying maybe high-profile players, but not necessarily top players, if that makes sense. Guys on the way down or guys who were just like, oh, I'll take all this money. Yeah. doesn't make any fucking odds. But, you know, even then you know, getting somebody to move to Manchester is probably easier than getting somebody to move to Newcastle with all due respect to the wonderful people of Newcastle. Well, I don't, I don't know if there's too much difference. I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, I think there's always, you're always able to, Manchester has a good tram to help, help people to, to see the beauty of the Northeast. <laughs> um, I mean, they're signing, it looks like probably James Madison, right? So that, these are not like, um, live golf style signings though, you know? No, no, no. Uh, and, and I, and that must be annoying. <laughs> must be annoying for you guys. But then again, right. I, I don't know if you saw, uh, Greg Norman was on like Tucker Carlson. Yesterday, no, I don't like, tend to watch a lot of Tucker Carlson. Well, uh, Greg, Greg, Greg Norman, Norman was on talking to Tucker Carlson about how live golf is the future of golf, and Tucker was sucking it up. And uh, they were at like the Trump golf course. And all I'm saying is, do you expect to see Eddie Howe on Tucker Carlson anytime soon? You know, do you do you, do you expect to see <laughs> Tucker gazing at him adoringly while Eddie explains his his principles of high performance? I don't think so. Um, so what I'm saying is that if you're like uh, the Saudi uh, PIF. It seems as though the golf is opening more doors, sure, than than old old Eddie uh, has managed to do so far. But you know, you never know. Uh, there's uh, there's still plenty of time left in the window. There is a whole month more or less to go, and uh, plenty can happen between uh, now and the close of the window. We better leave it there, though. As always, Ken, a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck for the new season, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you too, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much indeed, as always, to Ken Early. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ken Early's, at Ken Early's, and, of course, part of the Second Captains podcast crew. You can subscribe to their stuff on Patreon. Their Monday football podcast is free, but they do lots of other great stuff during the week as well. You can find more details at secondcaptains.com. Right, let's leave it there for this one. There's more to come. Don't worry about that. More Arsenal-centric preseason podcasting very much on the way. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll catch you on the next one, which is really soon.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 